Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are presumably live. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Showdown Joe here. Joe Ferraro alongside Sean Rossap for this week's Holy Smokes podcast. And my goodness, do we have lots to discuss, lots to recap, lots to dissect. Uh, give us a follow at Showdown Joe for yours truly, at Sean Rossap uh, for my wonderful co-host, managing editor uh, of Fightful. Make sure you give us a follow at Fightful MMA on social media, at Fightful Online on Instagram. A lot of crazy stuff going on there. But uh, we're going to hear from Chael Sonnen a little bit later on in the show here to discuss a variety of things. James Lynch had a chance to catch up with him. He also caught up with uh, Cyborg Santos. If you didn't have a chance to see that, make sure you get over to FightfulMMA.com to check out those two interviews amongst many uh, that James Lynch continues uh, to pop up on the site. We're going to recap UFC St. Louis and all the stories around that. Uriah Hall having to pull out the different results that occurred. Robert Whitaker is out. Uh, UL Romero replaces him. He'll take on Luke Rockhold. We're going to break down UFC 220. The fight for the baddest man on the planet will headline that event. Uh, and yours truly will be joining Sean Ross Sapp uh, on Saturday uh, after that event. So uh, we'll also talk Bellator 192, get some predictions from fighters. Douglas Lima taking on Rory McDonald. Who am I picking? Who is Sean picking? Who are others picking? Lots to discuss, man. Sean, Ross, Sapp, look at that head. How are you, sir? Beautiful. Wish our stream would, would kick off on YouTube, but we're going to operate as if it's it's running anyway because it always ends up doing that. It goes somewhere. Where it goes, I don't know, but eventually it'll pop up on there. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, man. There are two events this weekend. You actually will be joining me for 220, yeah? I believe so. Isn't that uh, what we're talking about Saturday? Yes, yes. And uh, Bellator 192. This weekend as well, what do you think of Bellator going head-to-head with UFC? I don't think that was their plan originally. I think they'd already booked this card long before UFC 220 even remotely had a main event. So I don't blame them, and I'm sure they're not overly happy with the fact that, oh, come on, Miocic Ngannou this weekend. Which... um, 
I'm being from from the numbers that I'm picking up, Joe, and I, I take a look at a lot of things. I take a look at like weigh-in numbers, face-off numbers, press conference numbers. Uh, they UFC posts extended previews inside the octagons and countdowns and stuff. And based on the numbers that I've seen on some of these, there are some very very good-looking numbers for the UFC compared to some of the stuff that they've done in the past on this show. And it is a very much a two-fight show. So I really hope that none of these two fights, these top two fights, pull out. And Joe, my God, like I uh, sang the praises of the way that UFC shows were booked last year about how strong so many of the undercards are. That is not the case with a lot of these shows that are coming up. This is definitely a situation, in my opinion, when you look at the actual uh, funds that need to be allocated uh, for the main event and the co-main event, uh, that everyone else underneath doesn't necessarily get paid. So it is top two heavy fight, Miocic, Nganu, Cormier, Ozdemir. Other than that, you can go up and down the card. They're mainly names that you and I and hardcore fans know. Uh, I don't know that anyone uh, in the mainstream knows. Maybe they might know John Volante. They, they may have a recollection of Thomas Almeida. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Dustin Ortiz is on the card. But yeah. And of course, your your ladies are on the on the fight pass. But I digress. Yeah, your your top 15 lady is on fight pass. And you have, you have a few ranked people. It's just not a great card below that. And... There, there's something to be said about Bellator. I think they're starting a little bit earlier. Probably a good idea. If I were them, I would have both of my main event fights done by the time that Daniel Cormier walks out to that cage. That right there is intelligent production. That's that's a guy that's been around the game, ladies and gentlemen. Sean Rossap understands uh, the importance of, oh, hey, you want to go head-to-head is one thing, but let's get our stuff done before we lose viewership. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, like, there's a lot being made about Douglas Lehman, Rory McDonald not headlining. I'm wondering if that was a strategic thing, so this would happen. Like, people would tune in to watch Rory McDonald and Douglas Lehman, because that is a high-level fight. That is as good of a fight as Bellator is going to put on. And here's the thing, though. Like, I often talk about how bad some of these headliners are. There is no reason for Lorenz Larkin coming off of a loss and... Fernando Gonzalez to headline a Bellator show one week after Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima don't headline a Bellator show. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking at someone that's sending a, a message to me for the show, but uh, it's, it's irrelevant at this point. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, you're bang on. I mean, when you take a look at exactly how it's how it's been structured, how it's been put together, I mean. It's it's strategic, but it's not right. Uh, the, the Bellator card has three fights that are fantastic at minimum. Uh, even Pico taking on Christian is going to be a good fight as well. But you know, Michael Chandler coming back against Yamaguchi, Ooh, or is it Yamuchi? Yamuchi. Yeah, yeah. Welcome I Bellator has a, a good enough roster to where they don't have to do this. Uh, so, my God, man! But there, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Uh, Uriah Hall got pulled and Dana White just went in on him and my God, if this wasn't the, the thing that we've just said, where is Uriah Hall's head at? How serious is he? Can he ever pull the trigger? Dana White went in on him saying he doesn't take it seriously. He could, he has unlimited potential, did have unlimited potential and just pisses it away. It's extremely unfortunate. I mean, I, I, I mean, we're never really going to know the full true story uh, as to what happened. But you know, at, at some point, is it bad luck? Is it mismanagement? Is it poor overall planning? 
something's got to give here because you know there are so many different I guess attributes and intangibles that constantly prevent Uriah Hall from being what many of us thought uh, was going to be a, a, a serious contender at 185 pounds. I know we're looking at you know his his stint on the Ultimate Fighter and what we expected, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you called it a dud to put it nicely against Kelvin Gastelum in the finale, and that was the eye opener. I mean, realistically speaking, the original eye opener for Uriah Hall was on the Ultimate Fighter show when when Chael Sonnen, uh, when they broadcast the fact that Chael Sonnen was like, "Look, man, it's all up here. It's all mental for you. You got to get over the hump." And there's your first clue, your first example regarding Uriah. I can tell you on a personal level, and I've told the story before on this podcast of my experience with Uriah Hall and how I think he's a fantastic guy. And then after the interview was done with Sportsnet, we kind of had a personal conversation about being mentally strong and what it takes and you know information that I got from the likes of you know from from Faraz Ahabi, George St. Pierre, Randy Couture and, and how they told me that they would deal with with fight night jitters and preparation jitters and you know, you know Randy Couture taking on Brock Lesnar's and Brock Lesnar and he told me that you know after the fight he had those go-go gadget arms that just he couldn't figure out how far his jab was because his arms were so long and but he dealt with it so with Uriah Hall going through this now and constantly you never know we, we talked about it on the last show and even before it was just like we never really know which Uriah Hall is going to show up and this time around he didn't even show up he couldn't even you know cut the weight properly so I feel bad for the guy I think he's just a genuine human being so nice but what do you do Sean it's just it's such a thing it's like one of those you watch him fight and you can diagnose him right there based on how he fights unbelievable uh Kamara Usman he a boy what was up with that post-fight interview? He should have just went full heel and said that his 30% is better than 100% that anybody in the audience could give. Did he leave his charger at home? Like, does he is, is the Bluetooth on? Because I liked his performance. He wrestled. You're not going to stand and strike with Emayo Weber Mick. You're just not. And people who were like, oh, yeah, he needs to slug him and knock him out on the feet. No, that's not going to happen. Now, could he have finished him on the ground? I would have liked to have seen more of that because he was even getting torn up with some elbows there. But You're, I, I was thinking of you when those elbows were being thrown and cut this, up tomorrow. I believe he was on 30% because he definitely turned himself on airplane mode and just cruised along. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of insight, and I don't know what it is uh, about Camaro. Camaro is, every time I see him at Titan events, every time we call a show, he's either sick the day of or he's getting over a sickness now let's not forget these are are they're human beings like you and i and everyone watching and listening into the show and what they put their bodies through uh is way more than you know 99 percent of the audience that that tunes in to see us so they need to definitely have the right amount of recuperation number one for rest number two nutrients in their body and i talked to him about what what i do because i used to travel so much and you know i'd get sick i'd still work out nowhere near on their level don't get me wrong but uh you know i i i was a uh, it was jonathan remember jonathan chambered i do yeah, so Jonathan Chamber was the one that, when he was working with the team over at TriStar, would ensure he told Brendan Schaub this, George St. Pierre, he told anyone and everyone, Rashad Evans back in the day, uh, oil of oregano, extremely important. Your greens mix, extremely important. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what's called, I don't know if you guys, yeah, you guys have it down there, it's called emergency. Yeah. Okay, it's a little packet, tear it up, put it in cold water, 
stir it up. Me, myself, I put five drops of oil of oregano to ensure it tastes like absolute crap. Stir that bitch up, swallow it, and you're good to go. You're yeah. good. I, I have that every Friday because at the I don't work out Saturdays and Sundays, Sean. So uh, as anyone that knows me knows me well enough, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. By my I desk. By my Friday desk. Yeah. So and I work out five days a week. Again, nowhere near what those guys go through. Like not even I don't know thirty percent. Oh, there's an irony. There's some coincidental comment right there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but at the end of the week, definitely. I'll take my emergency and oil of oregano. And if my son, who's seven years old, who's, you know, they get sick all the time. For those that are parents, they understand. They get sick. I catch him with a stuffy nose. I catch him with anything that I see that he's catching a cold. Boom. That same day, emergency and oil of oregano. So with Kamaru, what I told him, I said, dude, just, just give it a shot. Give it a shot. Don't got to take it every day if you don't want to. But every other day, it boosts your immune system. So, in that in that post fight interview, first of all, I'm watching the fight with Emil, and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus is Emil huge. This guy's a monster at 170 pounds. I didn't think he was that big, but he's a big, big boy. And Camaro had to do what he had to do. At the same time, it didn't look like what I envisioned a fight for Kamaru Usman. So I'm thinking something's got to be going on here. Other than that, he got rocked early and he's just, you know, cruising cruising to that victory just using his wrestling to win well lo and behold in that post-fight interview he says he was sick he says he's he was he was at 30 percent thought to myself not surprised i i know the guy i'm not surprised he's ill yeah i just think it's a very tito ortiz thing to do to say i'm at 30 percent he was already getting booed he should have healed the shit out of them and he did a little bit he did a little bit so, go on, go on. I want to ask you about that for sure. Go ahead. No, go on. So the moment I started hearing the boos, okay, that's what happened with Rashad Evans. That's what happened with Daniel Cormier. As soon as that post-fight interview, the very first post-fight interview that they went through where they started getting booed, that was pretty much it for their careers in terms of being the good guy. They, had, they were heels moving forward. Two of the most amazing dudes ever you'll ever meet. Nicest guys you'll ever meet. Their fan base just boos them. Can't stand them. Boos them for whatever reason. At that very moment, as Kamaro's doing his interview, he starts getting booed. I thought, oh my God, Sean Ross Sapp's going to look at this and probably bite it and just go crazy with it. Because now I think Kamaro's going to be booed with anything and everything he does. Except when he fights Colby Covington. So there's room for more than one heel in this welterweight division. Like <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Tyron Woodley's like there. Like Tyron Woodley's thing is he thinks that nobody respects him. But the reason why maybe he's lacking respect is because he always does do that. Like he always acts like there's like some conspiracy against him. There, there's really not. Colby Covington is just a super heel. Kamaru Usman can do that too. When you're in a division, wh- these are the here are the guys on the outside looking in, Joe, of this division. Stephen Thompson, Robbie Lawler, Damian Maya, Donald Cerrone, George Masvidal. That's on the outside looking in. Guys on the come up are Dos Anjos, Covington, Teal, Ponzinibbio, Usman. I've never seen a welterweight division like this ever in the history of ever. That's so. There's room for him to do this because if I'm the UFC, I put him against Maya straight up. And I know Maya's coming off a loss, but here's the thing. Either Usman is going to knock him out on the feet, or Damian Maya is going to submit him, or along the way, we're going to find out that Kamaru Usman's wrestling is so good that it can just stop Damian Maya on the ground. And if that's the case, hey man, 
Well, what can you do about that? Also, speaking of the welterweight division, now I have been very outspoken about Matt Hughes and especially his book where it kind of exposed him to be uh, questionable at best. To definitely check out Sean McCorkle's review of that book. It was unbelievable, but the moment that they had at UFC St. Louis when they brought him out to the cage, that was very emotional, that was very great. Uh, regardless of what I think about some of the stuff that he put in that book, oh my God, man. It, it it still hurt me to see him limp out to the cage like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I've had my ups and downs with Matt Hughes. Thankfully, it's been all cleared. And, you know, every time we do see each other, it's just swapping stories of, of, of wives and kids and stuff like that. Um, he's, he's a guy that would always speak his mind. And whether you liked it or not, he didn't really care. I mean, he literally, in my opinion, back in the day, would walk around as I am the baddest man on the planet. At the very least, I'm the baddest 170 pound on the planet. Uh, I can kick everyone's ass in the room so I can say whatever I want, do whatever I want. That was the vibe he had back in the day. Um, and then even even, even in, you know, leading up to some of his fights and doing some of the interviews, it was a bit of a challenge. As time went on, you know, as you get older, you get humbled. Uh, and Matt, I saw a little bit of a change in Matt, especially as his career started unwinding and when he actually retired. Then I started doing some uh, appearances with him, hosting some appearances with him uh, when the UFC came to Canada and, and just thought this guy's just a completely different person, just a, such a nice guy now. Everything is cool. So it, everything was great. And whenever we would see each other, hey, how you doing? How's this? How's that? Blah, blah, like I mentioned earlier. And then when I got the news that, um, you know, the, the, his pickup truck got hit by a train, I reached out to Frank Trigg right away to say, dude, what's, what did you hear? What else do you know? Blah, blah. And he's, I don't know uh, what's going on. So we were kind of going back and forth. You, you automatically feel for the guy. And the first thing I said with the very first podcast afterwards um, with, with you and I, I said crystal clear. I said the day that he comes back, the UFC will honor him. And yes. they'll, they'll, they'll do – I didn't think they would make him walk to the, to the cage, but they would do something. Uh, I think I did mention something like Hoist Gracie and when BJ Penn returned, they'll do something special. And I guarantee you it will be emotional for at least me. Uh, and I'll tell you, I've watched that, Sean, and I was fighting back tears, man. I was like, damn, this human being's alive. Forget Matt Hughes. He's alive. And, and he's, you know, you see the pain that he's going through, and it's, he's not 100% who he was before, but just so glad that he's, that he's, you know, he's getting there. He's getting okay. Yeah, it's sad, man, because this is a guy who was toying with the idea of fighting again in Bellator. Like, he was throwing it out there, like, you know, maybe I'll do it, all that stuff. Obviously, that's never going to happen now, and that's a, that's a shame, but... Glad to see the UFC honor him. Overall, I just thought that UFC St. Louis card, and it had two fights pull out of it. It just had such a complete absence of stakes on it, essentially. Yeah. Um, my, my lasting impression of that entire show was really, wow, Paige Van Zant's tougher than I even gave her credit for. Now, I don't think she's evolved enough in the, in recent years, but... I think that her ability to adapt in that third round was kind of impressive because she didn't throw a right hand that whole time and she switched it up with kicks and stuff. Now, had she done that from the beginning and not left her feet four times in the first minute while she was trying to strike, maybe that she, fight would have been. Maybe that fight would have been. Too many times. Yeah, it, she threw that too many times. It was such a 23 year old thing to do. Like, that, that's the situation. But that was my lasting impression of that show. And. Vitor turned down a replacement fight. Dana White didn't specify with who, but said that he was offered a fight in Boston, offered another fight later on, turned it down. He wants Bisping. He wants Bisping, and Bisping doesn't want him, but I think that... And I can't blame Bisping. He spent... Bisping spent years of his career fighting people who were on TRT and steroids. 
So I can't blame Michael Bisping. Just like, you know, nowadays, I used to look back at, I didn't used to look back, I used to look at George St. Pierre, I thought he was making excuses to not fight Anderson Silva. Nowadays, I don't think he was making excuses. I think he was completely justified in his reasons for not wanting to. So, we'll see where that goes as well. Uh, my God. So, there's the, the, the Uriah Hall thing, he passes out, I guess, or his body shut down. This upcoming Bellator show is taking place in California. I spoke to Georgie Karakanyan about some of the recommended weight class changes and things like that. And uh, boy, was he outspoken. Take a listen. I know you fought in California a lot, and their athletic commission is doing a thing where they'll like recommend that a fighter jump up a division if they don't meet certain criteria. What do you think of that? Like, Do you think that's... It's a fair thing for a commission to be doing, or do you, like what? What do you take out of that? I think the commission is just broke, and they're trying to find any way they could do to get money. And I think it's fucking stupid. Like, I mean, for, for the next week, they want us to show up at one fifty-seven point five, and the day of the fight, you can't be over one sixty point five. And if you go over that, they they, they try to recommend you, but. I mean, really, I'm going to listen to the commission guy that I've never fought in his life, doesn't know how to fucking cut weight, and he's going to recommend me, so I'm just going to tell him fuck off. So, yeah, that's not like, it's not like they're not finding you or anything, it's just them publicly, like, wagging their finger at you, yeah? Yeah, you know, I, I, my friend Cub just fought Brian Ortega, and uh, he was telling me, I guess, they're very annoying, they just follow you everywhere, they make you step on a so, and I'm in a fight week. Ask any fighter if if someone annoys you, you know, it's pretty annoying, you know, because you're cutting weight and you're not in good mood. So, I hope they know how to eat, and I hope they don't get bit left. <laughs> so, Georgie Karakanyan saying is quote fucking stupid. <laughs> Like, here's the thing, Joe. Like, you know, Dan or CJ at Bellator, their PR guys, will always hit me up, and they're like, who do you want? Who do you want? If I ever get Kendall Grove or Georgie Karakanyan offered to me, I take them. Yeah. Because they're not going to – there's no filter there. And, like, I mean, at one point, I'm pretty sure Georgie Karakanyan told me he wanted to kill Bubba Jenkins. May have helped kill his career, but it didn't kill him necessarily, but – that show, that Bellator show this weekend is a nice one. Aaron Pico versus Shane Crutchton. Uh, that kicks off the program. We'll go ahead and, and preview this show before we talk about UFC stuff. Aaron Pico, we have an interview with him on Fightful.com. Trained with, uh, has, uh, God, my God, I'll have to go look it up. Spaced out for a second. He's been training uh, with high-level boxers. He, of course, he's got that great, wrestling background. He's dipping his toes in a little bit of everything. Shane Crutchen is a guy that I know because I did a long-form feature on him. If you guys like the ones I did on Gerald Harris, The Brawl for All, NWA, Muhammad Hassan, any of those, I did a great one on Shane Crutchton in, in December 2016 ahead of his World Series of Fighting fight. This is not an easy fight for Aaron Pico. Like, they went... This could be the same situation that they ran into with Zach Freeman, Joe. Very dangerous. 
Very dangerous. I mean, Picos will still have that label. Uh, it's not as hot as it was before. Obviously, um, you know, he makes his debut, and we naturally thought he was going to destroy Freeman, or most people thought he was going to destroy Freeman. And and you know, Freeman what did tw- had twenty four seconds or so to, to choke him out. Uh, that kind of halted the train. But then you know, he comes back against Justin Lin, and and Pico does a fantastic job in that fight. There didn't last the full round, but showcased what we thought he was going to showcase. Um, did a great job, right? Was smart. But he's not getting easy fights. Maybe maybe not be a name that people recognize, but he's not getting easy fights. Now, if he does get past him, you know, he's supposed to, Sean. He's supposed to. That's, that's, that's a good point. And at the name I, that had escaped me was uh, Miguel Cotto. My God, he's been training. He had trained with Miguel Cotto ahead of Cotto's last two fights. So uh, that that is going to be a good one. Georgie Karakanyan takes on Henry Corrales. Karakhanian can really push himself up further in the division with that one. Then it gets into fights, and I'm like, why isn't Michael Chandler versus Yamuchi headlining the next week's show? Yeah, that's a main event fight. That is a main event fight. Man, Chandler might lose this, Joe. And a lot of people don't have any clue who Yamuchi is. But he's been in Bellator for four years, and he's like, I think he's seven and two. He's beaten uh, Ryan Couture, Piccolotti, and uh, he's beaten Mike Rickman, uh, Saul Almeida, Martin Stapleton. Like, he's beaten some decent fighters. So he is one that, I, if he beats Michael Chandler, title shot for this man. <laughs> if he doesn't get a title shot after defeating Chandler, I don't know what Bellator is doing at 155. Forget about heavyweight. But at 155, I mean, the guy's fantastic. I mean, he's unreal. Right, you beat Chandler, you're damn freaking good. You know, uh, this this could be. Well, I shouldn't say it's going to be the fight of the night because you got the main or the co-main event, which is what we're all looking forward to. Um, Chandler's going to have his hands full. He knows it. If he has any sort of arrogance about him and thinks he doesn't, he'll, he'll get finished. He needs to be careful. But I think Chandler, you know, we, we all know what he wants to do with Primus and and stuff like that. So it's a matter of of you know Yamuchi first, Primus next. Right, but either way, the winner of this fight gets a title shot. If it doesn't happen, oh man, like come on, guys at Bellator, let, let, let's smart up here. Well, the thing is, Premise seems to think that Chandler's just trying to fight out his contract and move on to the UFC. That's what Premise thinks. Uh, Chandler's told me that he's open to uh, facing or moving up to 170 in the future, so that's something to keep your eye on. Then we have, I'm, I'm going to cover. Uh, the, uh, I guess I'll cover them in order. In order. Douglas Lima, Rory McDonald. Uh, you know, you've you covered that Canadian MMA scene for quite a while. This is a welterweight championship match. It was really the fight that they were trying to get to to, be, to begin with when, when they signed Rory McDonald. What are you looking for out of this, man? Because Douglas Lima is that guy. He If he moved into that crowded Bellat- or UFC welterweight division, he's a top five, top seven guy. And he's beaten Lorenz Larkin, Koreshkov, and Paul Daly back to back to back. It doesn't get much tougher than that, Joe. Like, well, it does on know, Saturday, or it does now. <laughs> well, yeah, that, this may be the toughest four fight streak of anybody in Bellator history. Yeah, it's it's not going to be easy, easy for Douglas. I mean, uh, before I get to that, I just want to know uh, if 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 the peeps over at Wirecast can do different things about changing color because I'm looking at your look and my look. I look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And if anyone is over on my Instagram and sees the picture I posted literally minutes before we went live, you can see my true skin color uh, and not Casper the Friendly Ghost. Sean right now looks like he's blurred out, but 
the picture I have of Sean in front of me right now is crystal clear. Uh, although those locks are funny, but uh, hey, it's you all guys, Wirecast, bro. man. Yeah, come on, Wirecast, step up. Um, Roy McDonald, Douglas Lima. This is a main event fight. Should be the main event. We all know that. Uh, take nothing away from Chael and Quinton, which we'll get to momentarily. But um, you know, I, I don't know what what. I mean, it's it's going to sound crazy to most people. I'm rooting for Douglas Lima. Really, really am. Really? You know, yeah, people think, oh, Roy McDonald's Canadian and blah. Nah, it doesn't matter. Any reason Canadian. for that? I just, I like Douglas Lima, man. Him and him and Diego are just, you know, million dollars. They're, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. Both of them. Absolutely love those guys. I love the way Douglas fights. Very humble. Um, and, and he kind of reminds me of, of Horiguchi in Japan when Horiguchi had Manel Cape just pa 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 And Horiguchi's like, okay, yeah, you'll see. It's a lesson I learned a very long, very long time. Well, I should say very long time ago. UFC 129, um, you know, GSP Jake Shields. And, you know, interviewing Jake Shields and how humble he was and how nice he was. And, and George saying, this is the guy that I've been the most scared of my whole career. He goes, it's not the loud talkers, the the Diaz's or the who, the Frank Triggs back then, blah, blah. He was never never worried about those guys what he was worried about was the guys that were always quiet humble and silent because that shows the epitome of confidence no arrogance about douglas lima in my opinion so uh, i'm a huge fan of both lima brothers i'm a huge fan of douglas lima um but he's gonna have his hands full with rory mcdonald i mean rory mcdonald technically is a killer um he's been in there with the best of the best of the best pretty much over his career and you know he's looking to make a an example of douglas lima and show that he's the best welterweight outside of the ufc douglas lima with a win here Ooh, buddy oh buddy yeah there's not a lot that douglas lima hasn't seen he's seen the striking ability of paul daly He's seen a, a bit of an all-around game in Koreshkov. He's seen a guy walk over from the UFC, top five, top ten in Lorenz Larkin. He's seen the wrestling of Ben Askren, and it got the better of him as well. He's seen the pace and the brawling of, of a Matt Brown, the jiu-jitsu of Ben Saunders. So, I mean, he's been around the block. Like Just because a lot of people are kind of learning his name, he's fought 35 times. Again, and I always say this for guys that have fought this long, that we know of. That's just <laughs> on the record, man. Like, who knows how many that he may have done that, that we don't have a record of. And Roy McDonald, like, it, it's like I've mentioned before. For so long, he was the potential, the potential, the potential, the future, the future. He's at 28 years old. That is, this is the time now. It's not the future anymore. I remember back in the day. Melvin Gillard said, I'm not worried about winning a title. I'll win it when I'm 33. Well, now, with all due respect to Melvin Gillard, he's at like 33 or 34, and he's fighting every other week to, to get a paycheck. Yeah. Rory, yeah, I remember, Donald, I, Rory, yeah. Rory is not that far. He's like three and a half years removed from beating Tyron Woodley and beating Damian Maya and beating uh, Nate Diaz, BJ Penn, those types of guys. Now, BJ Penn isn't what he once was or anything like that, but... This is this is about as high level of a fight as Bellator can put on, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic fight. Again, um, I, I know I said I'm rooting for Douglas Lima to win this fight. Technically speaking, he can do it. He can do it. As mentally speaking, if he goes into this fight clear-headed, not arrogant, not afraid, I think he pulls off the victory. So this fight, like I think a lot of it's going to come down to reach, distance, and things like that. Because, I mean, Roy McDonald is a big, big welterweight. And he's oh, got like yeah. a, he's got a five-inch reach advantage on Douglas Lima. 
and we've seen Roy McDonald's willingness to to go out there and play the distance game. He's kind of said that he doesn't really want to do that in Bellator. And, you know, this is more, the Bellator paychecks are more of a sure thing for him. They're going to push Roy McDonald no matter what. They've got an investment in him. But enough of our predictions. Let's hear what the pros think about McDonald and Lima. I have no idea how Douglas Lima isn't one of the biggest stars in this sport. He's good looking. He's the right age. He's tougher than hell. Bellator's used him for two years as, as a highlight reel for, for his knockouts and finishes. You know, Larkin was supposed to come out there and starch him. Uh, he proved that he can go five rounds. He, he won that contest. I mean, he's really special. I don't have to tell you how good Roy McDonald is. I mean, Roy McDonald is nasty. George St. Pierre himself has been on record many times saying, you know, if this guy's not the best in the world, if, if you're going to say I'm the best, let me tell you this guy's the second best. When George St. Pierre says it, it matters. George isn't Mr. Compliment towards other people, but he says Rory's the man. And uh, I don't know who's going to win that fight. I mean, Rory is really special. It's just I, I would like that we could all agree. All the media, we, we at least in sportsmanship agree. If Douglas wins this fight, we give him his due because – He's earned it. He's been the champion for a very long time, and for some reason, he just hasn't sparked that imagination, and we we haven't really given the credit to him that he deserves. So I'll leave it at that. I'll let those two guys go figure it out. But uh, I know people think Rory's going to win. I'll tell you that Douglas is a lot bigger than Rory. He's a lot bigger than most people know. He walks around at almost 215 pounds. He's very lean. I think he, he really should be a middleweight, but... You know, he, he's got the belt, at, uh, the belt at welterweight. He's got the contract at welterweight, so he honors it. And he's got a way to go in this fight. I, I don't think he's just going to get steamrolled like a lot of people think. He's the champ, and he's the champ for a reason. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, uh, Douglas, but don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Brory is going to stand with them a little bit and go for a takedown. And, and in the past, it's been a weakness of Douglas Lima, the takedowns. But I feel like he's... Uh, He's a uh, defense. Douglas Lima's defense is really good, and he throws everything power. So I don't want Rory to beat my ass listening to this or hear this, but I'm a fan of both fighters, but uh, I think uh, decision, Douglas Lima. I think Douglas Lima. Honestly, I, I just stop that thing. I think he's a tough guy. Obviously, Rory's a very tough guy, too, but I think a lot of people underestimate that they, they can just come into Bellator and they think, like, coming from the other organization, that they can just walk through Bellator. A lot of guys that come from the other organization that come to Bellator, some of them don't even win. I mean, we've got Bellator's got a tough, tough roster, especially at the 170 pound division. Lima's been a champion, so he's a gamer. I mean, I think that's it's going to be a great fight, but I think Lima Lima will win. And uh, but we'll have to see. It's, it's MMA. All the crazy stuff happens in this sport, so we'll see. But I'm predicting Lima. Uh, I really want Lima to win. Is that that's the guy that's been the champion, and you know I have a lot of respect for him. Um, that's who I want to win, but I, I really do see um, McDonald getting the win. I think he's going to do the very same thing that he did to Daly. Uh, he won't take too many strikes on the on the stand up where he feels that it's more fair or more even. Uh, he's going to shoot in, try to get him down, try to grind it out, kind of like Askren did to him, um, burn him out a little bit, and then and then ground and pound or submission um in order for lima to win he's got to crack that right here break that nose again get him panicked get him feeling that that um basically how robbie lawler made him feel where 
the pain and the, and the, the recovery is not going to be worth the pay, you know, uh, put him in that mindset and, and make him want to check out again. Oh uh, man, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of both of them, to be honest. I, I've been a fan of Rory and uh, I've been a fan of Douglas and I've always said, you know, if I fought at 170, I'll fight any dude except for Douglas. You know, that's, that's a dude that's just, he's just a scary dude at that weight and he's big, you know, and then you have Rory, he's huge at that weight. So I don't know, man. Uh, if Rory doesn't take him down or can't take him down, I think Douglas is going to give him a lot of problems with those leg kicks. And um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't call it, but it, it's going to be a good fight. I'm, I'm definitely excited about watching. So this main event, Rampage Jackson versus Chael Sonnen, the first round of the Bellator heavyweight title tournament. Uh, Rampage, I understand he can't make, won't make the 205 pound weight limit anymore. Chael Sonnen's never fought at heavyweight, Joe. Despite many would kind of just suspect he would fight anywhere and any, everywhere, and he would. He's never fought there, and when we when you all hear from him in a couple of minutes, he'll kind of express his uncertainties of fighting there. But, you know, I, I'm kind of on Rampage's side with this. Why do you want a Rampage Jackson if you're going to put him against judokas and wrestlers all the time? Like, he used to have... Some pretty solid defensive wrestling. He doesn't anymore. Why? Why? They love Chael. Of course, but I mean... Rampage is a headache. They just re-signed him. If he was that much of a headache, they didn't have to re-sign him. You're bang on. You're bang on. But it is what it is right now. And that that's what he's going to get. And, and, you know, if Chael is silly and stands and bangs with... Rampage, it's going to lose his fight. Chael Smart pisses him off, takes him down, and holds them there while trying to beat him. Uh, that is that is just the game plan. Now, I understand what you're saying. Why, 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 why? You know, I mean, Rampage against Fedor, Rampage against Mitrion, Rampage against Mir, Rampage against Nelson. I mean, I like this Chael fight. I just, I mean, I would like it if both of them were facing somebody else. Like, I mean, eventually, sure. But if you have the option to pick who Rampage Jackson gets to fight, like, there's Mitrione, there's... Well, Roy Nelson would probably try to press him up against the cage and do that. That's, Roy Nelson likes to unpleasantly surprise people with how he fights. But, I mean, there, you don't you don't put him against Bader, King Mo, Chael Sonnen, in my opinion. Mir. Fedor. Nelson, Mitrione, even Mir, just because of the size difference, maybe Mir tests it and stuff. And I, I do love the Mir Fedor booking. I think that's a great one. I like, I actually like King Mo Ryan Bader because of that Styles clash. But I would not have done Nelson Mitrione. I don't see any point of doing that one. Uh, you could have just switched that up. Nelson and Sonnen, sure. See if see if Chael Sonnen can out wrestle. The big a dude. Beast. The big dude. See if, <laughs> See if Rampage Jackson can knock out Matt Mitrione. I just think that's a much better move. How do you think this one goes? Do you think Chael out-wrestles out him, or do you think that Rampage catches him? Because Rampage is a big dude now. Yeah, yeah. Rampage is, is going to do whatever he can to knock Chael's head off the block. Like, I mean, let's be honest for a second, but I think Chael's going to be like, one, two, just like go back and watch the Vanderlei Silva, uh, Chael Sonnen Ultimate Fighter clip. 
you see Chill putting his hands up and just fakes a one-two, down for a takedown. And that, that's what he's going to try and do uh, all the time with Rampage. I don't think he wants to sit there and stand and bang uh, with Rampage and his power, those power left hooks or right hooks. Um, I, I, the way I look at it, it's, it's as surface level a breakdown as you're going to get for me. Rampage Jackson, knockout, Chael Sonnen, three rounds or five rounds or 18 rounds it's, of just small like, I love to get introspective and break these down from a technical standpoint, but it's really hard. Like, I mean, Rampage, like I said, used to have this very impressive defensive wrestling and used to have this just amazing technical hook that he would throw and just kill people with it. It doesn't have it anymore. I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't have it anymore. It doesn't have that anymore. Somebody says they should have had Shane Carwin in this fight. Well, Shane Carwin should stop playing hokey pokey with MMA then because I can't count the number of times in the last two years, last year, since we launched this site, that he's wanted to come back, including with Ryzen, and it didn't happen. And he wanted to come back with the UFC, and obviously uh, there's a reason he's not coming back to the UFC. Uh, I think the UFC knew as well. They were like, hey, you can't be juiced because Usada's going to come for you as, and you won't be fighting anywhere. Now, um, Chael Sonnen is pretty realistic about this this upcoming fight, and he spoke to Fightful.com's James Lynch about it. Uh, Take a listen, guys, and always uh, visit Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com. James Lynch has interviews from everybody, from the top to the bottom of UFC cards. Check it out, guys. You know, where it all started, I can't remember. You know, Rampage said something, or I said something, and he responded. Whatever it was, but, you know, it it, it was enough heat for me to want to fight. But, uh, uh, yeah, Dana tried to get involved. He he tried to make us the coaches of an ultimate fighter. We were going to do that match, and I can't remember what all happened, but it it never came around. And then as far as it happening right now is – I mean, it's a tournament, you know, it doesn't really come from animosity, neither will my next fight. You know, I, I just had somebody ask me, hey, if you beat Rampage, you're going to call out Fedor. But it doesn't work that way. This is a tournament. Rampage and I are on one side, Frank Mir and Fedor are on the other side of the bracket, and whoever advances, advances. So, uh, yeah, any kind of animosity or personal grudge that I would have for a, a traditional uh, style match, it has nothing to do with this. It's a tournament. And wherever the draws come, the draws come. I'm a tournament guy, man. I love that. You don't need to tell me. You don't even need to separate. I wish we were doing it all in one night. Yeah, it, it is a really great idea. And I think it's definitely getting some excitement in that division. Uh, now, Rampage's return to Bellator. He hasn't fought that often, but he's had the two fights against uh, Ishii and King Mo. What were your thoughts on sort of his performances in those fights uh, with him coming back to Bellator? I didn't get to see Ishii, but I used to train with him. Uh, I know he's a tough guy, so you know Rampage beating him meant something to me. Um, and then the King Mo fight, you know, I did get to see that one. I was even the commentator for it. I've, I've used that like when I, I watch some Rampage footage. That seems to be the fight that I keep going to because it was most recent. Uh, you know, Rampage is just a dangerous guy. He's a mean, rough, tough guy. He's big and strong. He's not a martial artist. He doesn't have belts and disciplines and all of that crap. And and that's a compliment to him as far as I'm concerned. But he is a fighter, and he's got a fighter's heart. And I've seen him out there a few times where I've thought, this guy doesn't look like he's in very good shape, but I've never seen him quit. You know, I've always seen him push through. He's always got one more big spurt in him. So, I mean, he's somebody I, I respect. He's a former world champion for a reason, uh, but he's not me. And as far as training camp, who have been some of your main training partners that helping you get ready for Rampage? I trained at Gracie Baja in Portland, um, you know, to name drop some people that you would know, Paige Van Zandt. I've, I've never sparred with Paige. I, I'm just dropping her name because I know you'd recognize it. But 
Uh, you would know Ed Herman, who's been one of my, my longest teammates. Jake Smith, uh, who's making his Bellator debut the week after I fight Rampage. Uh, Tyree Fortune, 18-1, and one, also making his Bellator debut. Uh, it's, it's probably the toughest team I've ever been part of. I mean, I could go on and on with, with who's there, but a lot of them haven't broke through yet. The best fighter I've ever seen is one of my teammates named Ricky Simone. Uh, the, won the LFA title. I'm very familiar with him, actually. Just won the Chico LFA Camus. title. Yeah, and Chico's tougher than hell, you know, and, and Ricky's just, Ricky's something special. So uh, we got we got all the right bodies, but I don't know that I could impress you by just uh, just dropping their names right now like maybe I could. In the old day when I was at Team Quest, you know, we had three UFC champions in the room on, on any given day. Well, it is interesting. You, you train with a lot of up-and-comers. One of them I also talked to was Austin Vanderford, who was coming off a win in victory. Um, how has that been sort of being a mentor and coach to these up-and-coming fighters and seeing them sort of progress in their careers? Yeah, and thanks for mentioning Austin. New teammate of mine. He came up in 2017, and uh, he's so tough. He works so hard. Great three wrestling. And four workouts. Yeah, three, four workouts a day, every day. And we'll see how long he can hold that pace. But, you know, he's a young guy, and he's very motivated right now. Uh, you know, I don't see myself as that. I think you call me a mentor is probably a, a bigger compliment than I would give myself because I can remember my mentors, and I don't know if those guys look at, look at me that way or not. But I just go through the process. You know, I just go in there and, and, and train every day. I do whatever the coach asks of me, and uh, and I go home. And my coach is a former teammate of mine, Fabiano Scherner. We were, we were Team Quest teammates. And, uh, you know, he's known Rampage for a long time. He's He's been in there with Mir and Roy Nelson. And, uh you know, he's great. So it, it, I'm with a new gym, but it, it's a lot like the old Team Quest days. Uh, you know, again, my, my former Team Quest teammate is now my head coach. And how do you see this fight playing out on January 20th? Well, I, you know, I don't think about the fight too much because you have to understand the big the big unknown for me, the part where I get, you know, apprehensive or, or my anxiety goes up is I never fought at heavyweight. And uh, – I've worked out with plenty of heavyweights, so I know what I'm getting into. Even, even in my wrestling days, my, my main workout partners, Eric Webb or Rich Polkinghorn, these guys were the heavyweights. I was the next biggest size, 197 pounds, but I never entered a tournament at heavyweight. So I don't know. You know, Some of my techniques just flat don't work when you hit them on a guy that's that big. I've even found that in the practice room. I can hit my best techniques on a guy that's much less experienced than me. And some of those, you know, you got to go to plan B and plan C. So uh that's a little bit of, of an excitement too you know anytime you get into something that you, that you haven't done before i've been doing a lot of grappling lately and it, it's just a different feel there's there's a bit of an excitement to that unknown bit of an excitement to that fear factor of what can happen and uh so i don't know you know as far as with rampage i can tell you this i trained really hard i'm in really good shape i'm gonna i'm gonna push him the second they say go i will and if he's got an answer for it then god bless him Chael Sonnen being very, very transparent about his technique on heavyweights and stuff. Like, just saying, there's so many times that he tries moves, like his best moves, and they don't work on bigger dudes, no matter who they are. So, very excited about that. Okay, I'm not excited about UFC 221, whatever the hell's from Perth. Robert Say Richard. again? I'm not excited for, for 221. Is that from Perth? I think so. Oh my god! Yeah, it's UFC 221 from Perth. Romero versus Rockhold is a fine fight. It is a bummer, but Robert Whitaker, I don't think was ever going to be ready for this fight. Like, no, I don't no. know what. Like, what? There was nothing to indicate that he was going to be ready this early. Why? Why do it? So a lot of this situation doesn't make sense, and and, and 
listen, not everybody can have perfect planning, even the UFC, but having Romero on the Orlando card is fantastic. He's from Florida. He lives in Florida, be it South Beach. But there would have been a nice traveling contingent that would have went up to go see him and support him and get a lot of ticket sales. So it, 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 putting him on that Orlando card was perfect. But pre-doing that, Rockhold, um, Whitaker, great fight. But we know Whitaker's injured. He's got a shoulder. He had, was it shoulder surgery or knee surgery mm-hmm. or both? Like that takes time to heal. I don't think it was ever going to be ready whatsoever. And that's why when the announcement was first made, I was kind of like, am I, am I the only one doing the math here and thinking, I don't think... The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's going to be ready. It doesn't make sense, right? So, and now, you know, it kind of backfired on both both things. Now, I, I don't know what ticket sales are going to be like in Orlando for the UFC. I'm sure they'll, they'll be fine. Uh, I think they just may have lost a guaranteed sell. I think Romero would sell that place out or yeah. at least sell enough tickets to push a sellout. Uh, but now he's got to go all the way halfway around the world, as does Rockhold. So both these guys have to travel from the U.S. all the way over to Australia uh, to compete against one another. I mean... I'm sure we're going to expect an exciting fight, but be much better somewhere where they only have to travel three, four hours, maybe. So I don't know. It's just a weird, weird booking scenario, and just weird how the how the dominoes fell the wrong way for the UFC on these two. Yeah, I just don't think that Whitaker was going to be ready. His his knee was wrecked pretty badly. Uh, also, guys, if you all didn't see it, we have an interview up with Chris Cyborg talking the potential Amanda Nunes super fight. She says that Amanda Nunes wants to. <laughs> fight her for because she's the money fight I, I would agree but i mean that's that's the point of this chris <laughs> and she's not as gung-ho against it as the guy who runs her social media is but <clears throat> like when you're talking about bringing pam Sorensen in to fight you like amanda nunez has more wins at 145 than Sorensen does so i don't know yeah. that that's odd we have a couple questions on the chat uh someone asked about your time at sportsnet Go check out uh, Joe's appearance on the MMA Industry Podcast in the archives at FightfulPods.com. He tells that story at great length. It is an awesome show. Uh, definitely check that out on Thursday afternoons. It's James Lynch's MMA Industry Podcast on Fightful.com. If you ever wanted to hear behind-the-scenes stories, it's great. Myself and Joe have just both been on it. Someone says, Sean didn't rampage get you into MMA. Yeah, well, I mean, he got me interested in MMA because I was into pro wrestling and uh, – family member showed me this video of a guy doing pro wrestling slams in MMA and I was like that's cool I didn't know that you could do that but then again all I really knew before that was Big John Hess so <laughs> God, I think you've name dropped John Hess or mentioned John Hess the past like nine straight podcasts I'm trying to keep a streak going here 
So we got <laughs> we got UFC 220, and man, this is a very very top heavy card. Like there's there's some okay stuff. Like Dustin Ortiz is on the show. That, that's a top fifteen fight. Al Hassan against Hamasi. Got to do that one again. Okay, sure. That that'll be fun because it was fun last time. Uh, Marina or Marina, ah, Marina Morose is on this show as well. Glayson Tebow is back. What on this preliminary card are you looking forward to, Joe? Um, I want, can I ask you two quick questions first? Yes. Um, just Chael Sonnen, Quinton Jackson. Chael Sonnen plus one forty-five. Quinton Jackson minus one fifty-five. What? Um, I think those are fair. Rampage a slight favorite because he's a bigger too. guy. You like? Yeah, I do. I do like that. I think that's fair. We do need to pull up the odds for these and and talk. I got them. Yeah, I got. What, what are uh, what are the Bellator lines right now for? At that's least, the only one. That's, that's the, the only, only one they made. Yeah, right now that's the only one made on um, about twelve different sites. So I, I mean, as we get closer uh, to the twentieth uh, to Saturday, it'll it'll we'll probably see more. They've got to do something with Rory McDonald, uh, Douglas Lima, and of course uh, Chandler's fight. So, um, second second question for you: Did you have a chance to watch Jessica I uh, Kalindra Faria? I'm going to say probably yes because you were tweeting. Yes, and I did a post show. You guys can check that out. Sorry that my stream cut out in the middle of it, but. Those are the breaks. The full show is now up on Fightful.com, FightfulPods.com, and our YouTube. Subscribe, like, thumbs up. Um, what was your take on Jessica's post-fight interview? That was one of the dumbest post-fight interviews I have ever heard. And, I mean, let's let's be quite frank. It doesn't surprise me. She's, okay. It, it just doesn't. That's... She's she's a different different cookie that girl. Okay, I I I, I don't want to say she's God. dumb. I'm just saying she's different. <laughs> I, the interview was dumb, but I'm not saying that it didn't surprise me because she's dumb. It's, it didn't surprise me because she's just different, man. She's different. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to say that because the very first time when she made her UFC debut, I had a chance to interview her. Uh, I'm going to think it was Seattle. I'm trying to remember the, 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 the location. I think it was Seattle. And when she sat down and spoke to me, uh, I was like, wow, what a – Nice girl, a sweetheart. She's got her, she's got her head down, and everything is smart, and blah blah, and got it down pat. We aired it on the network, blah blah. blah. And we did a feature on her, and everything was nice and stuff like that. And then every single time thereafter, I'm like, who is this? Who is this person that was a completely different human being when I had half an hour with her, with my team interviewing her? Who is this? And the how more far, I see, how far it, into her UFC career was that? Her debut. That's why. <laughs> it was it was her debut? So I'm going to go look at her. She she should have been one in six going into this fight because I thought that she lost the Kaufman fight, even though it got overturned because of the marijuana, which was BS. She, I, the majority of the media fan scores had it for Kaufman. She yeah. should have been one in six in the UFC going into this fight. And you know she did fight at 135, and that was that was just the thing I always heard. Well, it's because she's at 135. It's because she's at 135. Well, I'm glad that she got this win at flyweight uh, because 
I'm ready to see something from her. And she's talking like, nobody wants to see you punch. You know how many UFC bonuses she has? None. None. I, I, that, that I, I didn't know what to think when she said that. I was, other than like my, I remember looking at that. So I'm watching it on my brand new freaking awesome iPad. And I'm sitting there going, what in the hell did she just say? Nobody wants to see people punching and kicking. They want to see you wrestle. And I was just like, what planet are you on? Are you insane? Like, no. No, 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 that, no, that no. That's worked, not that what people want. That, that Penn State show that Bellator ran, maybe. This right? would have erupted. Sure. Wrestling, yeah. But And then just some of the stuff afterwards. And, and you know, I'm thinking Sean Ross Sapp. It's going to renew one in this post-fight podcast because she's one in six or she hasn't won a fight. It's her first win in four fights. What? Title? What? So, I sorry, that was just – I was like, am I the only person thinking this? I mean, there's got to be – you, you can't tell a grown adult sometimes what to say and how to say it, but someone's got to sit her down and be like, look, the minute you get in front of that microphone in a post-fight interview, here's what we advise – Here's how you can make more money. Here's how you can get yeah. fights. Here's blah, blah, blah. Because I was just like, you know, like that that woman that I interviewed felt like it was a bubble within a much larger bubble of truth. You know what? Like it was just like, okay, cool. You put it on for the camera. And that was a different person. Anyways. She's, she's been fighting like losing her job for a long time. Like there was a real case for her to probably – get canned after Pena and not only that like they gave her Sarah McMahon and then they're yeah. like okay well, we'll give you Betch Kohea who is has a name but isn't good like Betch just isn't good and then she took a year off while they started this division glad she got her win because I don't want to see anybody lose their job or anything like that so I'm glad she kind of preserved it and the flyweight division needs somebody like her so yeah nothing by yeah. the way nothing against her nothing against Jessica by all means like I hope it was just weird man it was a all weird the success thing in the world man but Okay, cool. Um, Maybe you see two twenty. Who knows? Oh, oh, see, there's the the pro wrestling side in Sean Ross Sapp that knows uh, a thing or two about certain situations. But uh, UFC two twenty. Anything on this card you asked me that that sticks out for the, me? The prelims, especially the prelims. Yeah, they do. I mean, you know, Makachev and Tebow to kick things off. Like that's that. pretty. That's a sick fight. I mean that's a that's a damn good fight. Um Moroz and Moyle, that's a fun fight. T Bow, uh or the old tea bag as I call him. Jesus. He sh- I mean the thing is, T Bow is the dude's nickname. If you can't nickname yourself T Bag and then do the motion in the ring while Bruce Buffer's calling your name, what are you even <laughs> doing here, bro? What uh-huh. are you even doing here? You're 34, yeah. you're not a household name, you need to make yourself a household name. He has been in the UFC, Joe, since 2006. Been and around. He had, of course, there was that one fight he had in Nordest Combat Championship back when the UFC just used to let their guys fight elsewhere, which was weird. But, um, my God, man, and he's had that USADA suspension, and is he the first person that we've seen come back after two years? No. Who else? I'm thinking. Uh, no, Chad Mendes hasn't. Um, no. But a female, you, a female fighter came back. No. You got to look at all the people that that he's beaten, and he might be look, correct, Sean. 
the thing is, he's beaten some guys <laughs> that weren't at their their prime. Like he's beaten Jeremy Stevens and uh, Rafael dos Anjos, but most of his recent runs, well, Francisco Trinaldo's a good one, but even then, that was five six years ago. He hasn't won a fight in three years. Two of those was because he was out of action. Otherwise, he'd still be fighting two or three times a year. I'm very, very interested to see how Glayson Tebow looks in this fight, and they are not giving him an easy fight. They're giving him a guy. <laughs> yeah. Nope. They're like, hey, welcome back. You got a guy who's 14 and one. Have fun with that. Yeah, that's going to be. Um... Damn it. I have to watch it live, don't I, Sean? All right. Yes, I'll, uh, I'll I'll endeavor to be home Saturday early uh, to make sure we watch that. Uh, with that starting at six thirty, I'm assuming. Yeah, six thirty three fights, uh, six thirty Eastern. All right, I'll uh, we'll, we'll be home to watch it. But uh, that that's pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in Danny Ige's fight against Julio Ars because uh, you know Ige. Yeah, I've called Ige's fight um, in Titan before he moved on to Dana White's Contender Series and then over to the UFC. Uh, that dude's just – he's the guy you call up on a, on a – you know, hey, man, what are you doing on Saturday? I got to lift some some bricks and some wood uh, in the backyard. I'm thinking of building a deck. Uh, can you call uh, Glover Teixeira as well and come by? Danny will be there, man. Dan will be there in a heartbeat. He's just that guy. Ars right? is a good fighter. He's only lost to Brian Kelleher. Uh, that that's a good one. I, I think that's that's one that people need to watch out for. Alisson and Hamasi. I can't believe they didn't put that on the main card over Qatar and Burgos. That's curious. Why? Right. Um, should be, but th- those are two guys that that deserve a bit more. Now, are you so? It always begs the question: Are you getting more exposure on a Fox Sports One prelim card, or are you getting more exposure on the pay per view? think you're getting more on the pay-per-view on this show you need to be on that those two guys need to be on that pay-per-view especially with the effort that they put forth last time yeah i really i really think that they they should be on that show and also put them as the main event for the prelim card so that drives pay-per-view sales yeah what is what right? is a Bochinac, Bochniak, and Brandon Davis? What what is that? What I don't know what that is. A featherweight fight, I w- probably wouldn't put as the the that prelim headliner. I would have put Moreau's or the T-Bow fight there over both of those. Uh, I would have put this flyweight fight on over both of those because that's a good flyweight fight. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're bang on. It's 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 a weird looking. Scenario, and I know. I mean, who the hell are we to say what the UFC is doing? They're a multi-billion-dollar company for a reason. Just suggestions, but me disagree. Uh, Almeida Font to kick things off uh, on the main card is going to be a ridiculous tilt. Uh, and taking a look at the, uh, I'm going to pull up the the numbers here. One second here. We are looking at uh, oh, very close. Minus 120 for Thomas, plus 100 for Rob. I can buy that. I think Font needs to be a little bit bold in this fight. Well, against Almeida, you're not going to have a choice. You get your head knocked off, right? Get ah, it. I got it. I got it. Rob, <laughs> bold, Font, not italics or underline. Got it. Oh, God. You you burned my underline joke. I said I was going to say I want to underline something <laughs> here, but you, you screwed it up for me. Uh, this Rob Font. sound effects, man. We need sound effects I here. Know. Either you and I with sound effects would be fantastic. Go ahead. Rob Font started off 4-1 and one in his UFC career. He's ran into problems with Lineker and Munoz. 
when he fights these top 10, top 15 talents, he has ran into trouble. And that's what makes me question the fight with uh, Dustin Ortiz because – well, here's the thing. I don't know if Dustin Ortiz is a top 10, top 15 talent because he's one of those guys, Joe, that came into the UFC back when, like in, when they started this division and you're like, all right – because we didn't know who the best flyweight in the world really was at that point. Back then, yeah, yeah. Because you had like people like it could have been Alexis Villa if he dropped down. It could have been like Dustin Ortiz. It could have been uh, any number of people. And since Dustin Ortiz got to the UFC, he's just had such a big problem against uh, him. It for him, it's been against like a lot of top five, top ten guys. But then again, he's he's almost like the Michael Johnson of this division. Like he'll beat Ray Borg and Justin Scoggins and Zach Makovsky. But then he's losing to Moraga, McCall, Formiga, Wilson Hayes, Brandon Moreno. Like, I think that calling him the the Michael Johnson of this division is kind of kind of fair because I mean we've seen him finish Willie Gates uh, in the last round. We've seen him finish Hector Sandoval in his last fight, fifteen seconds in, got his first bonus too. Uh, Alexandre is a little bit, well, not a little bit. He's way more consistent. Hasn't lost a fight in seven and a half years I think so this could be a statement fight for him over Dustin Ortiz and really could catapult him into the top 10 in the division yeah I mean uh, you kind of made me sad about Michael Johnson bringing up his name because we didn't talk about him and I'm super sad that I'm happy for Elkins for pulling off that rear naked choke victory but I'm sad for Michael because the, the dude's just so cool, you know. I mean, he, he has his moments, and but every time I see him in Florida, we're just shooting the breeze, man. It's yeah. just I wish him the best, but don't know why he caught himself in that situation and and submitted like that. It breaks my heart. But there, there are know. so many people that are like one that have one win in their last six fights that I'd be like, you need to retire. I don't think he needs to retire. Like he's hanging yeah. in there with some of the best people in the world. He put Habib Nurmagomedov in more trouble than anybody has so far. So. Yeah. There's Do you some... think the UFC commentating team was strategic when they were talking about Johnson's record and strategically did not say he has a victory over current UFC interim lightweight champion Tony Ferguson? Now, what was that again? Sorry, repeat. When they were talking about Michael Johnson's record and he has wins over blah, 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 they strategically did not state, in my opinion, they strategically did not state Tony Ferguson, who just so happens to be the UFC interim champ. I don't know. I think it was done on purpose. Really? Yep. I think it was done on purpose. There's certain ways to promote a guy, and there's certain ways to just be like, uh, it's a little bit safe here. I could be wrong, right? I'm just throwing it out there. I think there. that's fair. Uh, so this main card is, you know, the first three fights. Yeah. I mean, Volante, John Volante, it's Chris Weidman's training partner, and we've heard how Chris has said he's the best light heavyweight you know, ever in the world. No, no, he's not. He's not. And, you know, so first things first, uh, I think Barroso's going to win this fight. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I mean, Barroso's a – I know he's an underdog here. He's plus 150. I just don't – I mean, John Volante to me is just kind of like <laughs> – I've heard so much, but you've this, never done it. This isn't a main card fight to me on pay-per-view. You've got two guys that have won one fight in their last four. Both of them. And, you know, I thought, you know, Volante had a nice streak there where he won three of four, and he he kind of finished off Anthony Parosh and he beat Corey Anderson, and that's it. That's it. He's fallen out of that top 15, and Barroso is just, ah, uh, come on, man. 
Just uh, it's just not a main card fight, and I hate that when they throw that on there just under the guys like oh one of these guys could be in the top fifteen. Neither of them belong near it right now. No. John Volante hovered in and out of it for a little while, but it's just not a main card fight. Correct. Negative, negative, negative. So I mean, it's it's to me, it's not even want to talk about it. It's not even worth breaking down. And Calvin Qatar versus Shane Burgos, like who? Huh? Yeah, who? That's that's what it is. I mean, you, how many people are going to be drinking and doing other things? In my opinion, watching this pay per view until the Coleman event starts. That's why, like, if, if Bellator gets their stuff in at the right time, like they could time it out perfect because there are going to be people who buy this pay per view who aren't going to watch the first three fights. But boy, do we have some fun coming on those first two! And let's go ahead. I'll give you all the pros picks. For the uh, Daniel Cormier Volkan Ozdemir fight, I mean they're both good fighters. You know Daniel DC is an amazing fighter. You know he's a champ for a reason. Um, you know the other guy with the ball cover, as I say, I mean he's a super tough guy, man. You know he, he, he's had an amazing fight too. So you, know, you never know, man. It's a fight, anything can happen, and uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm not a good you know picker. And I hate picking on people. You know I, I knew who I want to win, but I'm not gonna say Cormier. You know Cormier's fought guys like him uh, time and time again. Uh, a better striker was uh, uh, Rumble Johnson, and he saw what what uh, Cormier did to him. And I think it's going to be the same scenario. I believe Cormier is going to go out there and, and finish him. Oh, man, DC, baby, let's go. That's my boy, man. DC is the man. I think he's going to just, just wreck Vulcan, man. It's not even going to be competitive, man. He's going to show the different levels of this sport, man. That's what there is in this sport. There's different levels. DC is going to thrash Vulcan. I like Ozemir. I do. Uh um, I doubted him against Jimmy Manawa. <laughs> he proved me wrong, and I'm not gonna do that again. Uh, I think he's very explosive, and he's got he's got the classic like he got the stand up. He can do all the all the movements, all the punches, all the combinations. I think he's got all that, and I think he's athletic. And I think DC he um he's always a smaller guy, but I think. This might be his most aggressive opponent. I don't think John Jones or uh, uh, Augustuson were as aggressive as Ozemir has has been in his past few fights. No, I'm going with DC. I fought with DC on the same card as DC last time, and uh, I gotta go with DC again. He, he's beating everybody that's not named John Jones. The dude, he beats them all. He finishes them all. He's he's, he's a great fighter. So I think he'll be a little bit too much with with his pressure and his wrestling for Ozemir, but. Ozemir hits like a freaking truck, so you never know. I like Vulcan. I like like I, I like him a lot because I, I saw he was uh, fight. You know, he was supposed to fight for Titan FC, and then he got that call to the UFC. And then his, I think he's on the three fight win streak with like all knockouts and like under a minute, something crazy like that. And he's already got himself a title fight. I, I think that's that's awesome, but uh, I don't think he's ever fought a wrestler like uh, like Cormier. And I, I think that Cormier is going to be able to take his take his shots, you know, and uh, be able to take him down and just beat him up. So I'm going to – if I had to put money on it, I'm going to put money on Cormier. But I think I'm going to be probably rooting for uh, – rooting for Stipe – or no, rooting for uh, no time. Vulcan, yeah. Um, I'm going to take Cormier. It's hard to – you know, anybody but John Jones, you got to take DC. Oh, that's another tough one. <laughs> Uh, being fun with both guys and knowing both guys, it's really hard for me to choose that one. I mean, that's another fight where I get to sit back and just kind of enjoy it just like everyone else. 
Oh, that one, it's, it's tricky. Who knows? Like that, that uh, Vulcan is just touching people and people are going down. So, I mean, it'll be very impressive if Vulcan does it, but I still think Cormier, because, I mean, Cormier, it's a, it's a warrior and he can take a lot, but it can take a lot. But who knows, man? That, that Vulcan does, seems like unreal. Like, he touches people and people go down. So, I mean, but um, I still think Cormier, though. Daniel Cormier versus Volkan Ozdemir, the UFC light heavyweight championship. I can't wait for this. Daniel Cormier often fights in a phone booth. Volkan Ozdemir has been fighting in bars, apparently. So there you go with that one. I see a lot of striking similarities between Ozdemir and Stipe Miocic, of all people, Joe. He's able to land knockout shots from short range without a lot of power generated, uh, off balance, like... Their knockout power really knows no bounds. Like, I mean, we saw uh, Miocic, which I'll get into it, knock a guy out moving forward. We've seen Ozdemir knock a guy out by, like, flicking his earlobe. Like, it's it's kind of miraculous. And Daniel Cormier is, he's what to watch here because he can be as good as he wants to be. Now, on the feet, I would avoid that if I'm Daniel Cormier because he has to rely on his overhand so much. He does fight inside a phone booth. As I mentioned, he'll put the hand on the back of an opponent's head, makes them cover distance. But the thing is, Joe, Volkan Ozdemir doesn't have to cover distance. And if you sit there with your hand on the back of Ozdemir's head, he's going to put his on your chin, and that's it. That's just it. I don't think Vulcan's going to be or should should be very aggressive with his striking in terms of moving forward too quickly because Daniel will be more than happy to, to meet him halfway and take him down to the ground. Um, that, that's what Daniel's going to do. Um, I think the correct thing for Vulcan to do is, is to play the distance game, play the, the reach advantage, or, or at least use his reach uh, in a manner that has him sticking and moving and playing the triangle if necessary, not sitting there and being where Daniel is because Daniel will throw kicks. Um, you know, Daniel's got to be smart as well. He can't walk in there and say, you know what? Uh, I took everything Anthony Rumble Johnson had, uh, and I still stood up and I beat him. Um, I'm not saying that, that Vulcan has the power that Anthony Rumble Johnson has, but we don't really know how much power he actually does have other than what we've seen thus far. And it's freaking fantastic because if he knocks out Daniel Cormier, the way he's done the past, uh, fighters, Ooh, we have ourselves a situation, uh, with a brand new champion, so it's. I'm looking at the dynamics here and thinking to myself, Uzdemir, though he's a he's a massive, not a massive underdog, he's a, he's a significant underdog at plus two sixty. Uh, Daniel's a minus almost three hundred favorite. Uh, some sites have him at minus three fifty. So he's a favorite for a reason, and I think we're likely going to see why he's the favorite in this fight here. Uh, I don't think any pressure is on Vulcan Uzdemir in this fight. All the pressure's on DC in this fight. DC doesn't care. Let's be honest, Sean. He's the champion. He knows he's got a job to do. Um, get rid of that top contender because three years from now, he's not going to beat Ozdemir, in my opinion. I'm with you, and there are so many technical things that Daniel Cormier does so well that involve that high-level wrestling. Like He capitalizes on every slip. Like When Anthony Rumble Johnson would slip and fall, a lot of people were curious as to why Rumble Johnson was wrestling in that first fight. It's because he had to resort to it because Daniel Cormier was so quick with the back take. And a back take from Daniel Cormier isn't like most people. He's not going to throw in like a body triangle or hooks. He'll probably force you over into a turtle position and throw uppercuts underneath the arm. Or he'll do that thing where he has this um, outstanding hip control 
from there where either you go flat down on your face or you're eating punches. But either way, you're probably not getting up unless you have some sort of superhuman balance or you're John Jones. He's, he's, that balance is something he's a real master at. His positional wrestling, he conserves energy in such a great manner. Like he'll, like when he's up against the cage and he's wrestling somebody and he drops down and it doesn't work, instead of lifting up on somebody and spending energy, he will slide his leg through and go around back and then do a waist lock. And that's like, that. not only is that super valuable for him to save energy, it's super valuable to make somebody else carry your own weight in that situation. And that's just the little things that a Daniel Cormier and his wrestling pedigree bring that just normal MMA wrestling training can't necessarily bring you all the time. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking to see is, does he still have that? Is that going to still be here? Because, uh, you know, it's at this point we've seen in the past. Here, here's what you got to think of, Joe. Think about his last few fights. Think of Daniel Cormier's last few fights, really. John Jones, he lost. Anthony Rumble Johnson was not beating him that day in that mindset. You were there live. You saw it. You covered it for us. Anthony Rumble Johnson probably isn't beating John Volante on that day. Like, it's, and no disrespect to John Volante, Rumble was gone. He was checked out. He was cooked. Before that, Daniel Cormier's fight is Anderson Silva. Well, okay, that was last minute. Before that was Alexander Gustafson, and that was that was the last win of Daniel Cormier's that I look at, and I go, okay, that one meant something. And even, I think Gustafson got that coming off of a loss, didn't he? Mm-hmm. My yeah. God. My God. And so so then as I, as I start to look at these, I put a lot of this stuff into question, but man... The thing is, I put some of it into question, but you can't beat all those guys under any set of those circumstances back to back to back to back without being great. Listen, that loss that he had his last fight versus John Jones, he was beginning to win that fight. It was a very competitive fight. It was looking absolutely fantastic. Then he just simply got caught. John timed that high kick properly. It landed. It's a baseball bat. It's a shin bone, a.k.a. a baseball bat to your skull. Nine times out of ten, in that type of situation, you're getting knocked out. You're getting hurt. You're getting rocked. Daniel Cormier ate it, lost, didn't realize the hell was going on afterwards. We all remember that. But in that fight, he was doing absolutely – I think he was doing fantastic. And in doing fantastic versus John Jones says a lot. And he still – and now he's the champ. It's all good. And now – He's not. It's not like we're looking at a fighter who's over the hill. He's not. Father Time will catch up to him. That's a that's a damn fact. Father Time will catch up to him. But right now, he's looking damn good. And I think there's a reason why he's the favorite here. Um, Uzdemir can prove a lot of people right and wrong in this fight here, no matter what. But if he does emerge victorious, especially with a knockout or a TKO, holy smokes, that. This kid's something else. It's the great unknown. And I like it. That's what I really, really like. Also, the great unknown is Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou. Take a look at the pros' picks, my friends. My boy Stipe, man. is a good buddy of mine. Very tough. He's champion for a reason. But the thing is that, you know, Francis, if he hits you with that one hand, as you saw with Overeem, it's over. He's a very, very big heavyweight. Both of them are big boys. 
But when you stand next to Stipe and then stand next to Francis, uh, there's a huge difference. But I'm going with my boy Stipe. Yeah, there's money to be made there. I, I don't think there's anything to see. I think that Stipe uh, gets him out of there, and he probably gets him out of there in the first round. Um, I am intrigued by it, and I will tell you, of anyone that I know that predicts fights, nobody's worse at it than me. So if I tell you it's Stipe, you might want to get some money out and put it on Ngannou, but I really feel that way. I, there's a bunch of question marks around Ngannou. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he rose up really fast. He doesn't have that experience. I think that experience is a little overrated, so so maybe I shouldn't hang my hat on that. There is something to being fresh. There is something to being naive, not knowing what you don't know. Daryl, nobody. Sorry, my my little maniac just came in. He, he grabbed the cord. If he pulls that, if he pulls that out, I'm gonna lose you. Uh, are you trying to get in this interview, boy? Huh? Are you trying to get in this interview? All right. And he's he's actually being quiet. So I thought I thought it would be okay with you if I brought him in on this one. Thanks, pal. I just got Stipe, man. Stipe's a stone cold killer. I don't, I don't really get it. I don't really get how anybody could could disrespect him and say someone's going to go out there and, and roll over Stipe. Nobody ever has, and you're going to act like this this unknown guy is is the one to do it, man. That's that's a tough sell for me. Oh man, that's a tough fight to pick. But I got to go with Stipe, man. He's got more well rounded set. You know, he could take down Nagano. He can mix up the everything, and Nagano's going to have to think about takedowns because Stipe presents that challenge. So I think Stipe's going to get done, regardless of what the odds makers say. I mean, I can see that, like, a lot of the casual, and a lot of MMA fans, they fall in love with with uh, the uppercuts and the overhands. They fall in love with that. But I, for me, I, I believe Stipe's, like, classic boxing and his movement, his angles, and his cardio. We haven't seen Nagano go into deep waters really so and I think if Stipe gets him out of the second round I think it's his fight oh, I'm pumped for that man that, that got me so much more excited for this card um that's another another fight you got heavyweights man you got two two heavy hitters especially in Ghana who what he broke the world record for the strongest punch or something like that right so um, if he touches you yeah I, I don't see him I don't see him hitting anybody if he hits somebody clean I, I think anybody goes to sleep so if he lands on Stipe, Ngannou wins. If he lands early, um, I'm gonna lean towards Stipe though. I think his wrestling, he's gonna he's gonna use his wrestling. If he uses his wrestling, I think he will win. I think he's by um, let's say TKO. Stipe's got it, man. This is the fight that Stipe's been waiting for to really shoot him into to stardom. You know, Stipe's he's the man. He's like a firefighter in Cleveland, just a stand-up guy and. Uh, I know he's got ties with, like, Weidman, and I'm hoping that he, he – I know uh, Volante was just out in Cleveland training with Stipe, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, Stipe – I'll be able to see him before that fight. That would be so cool. But uh, I'm going to be rooting for Stipe, and I think once he goes in there and uh, beats Nganyu, that's really going to – and I think that will break the record for heavyweight, right, heavyweight defenses. That's going to that's gonna make him the, the – bat. I mean, one of the, the best heavyweights to, to walk this – walk this planet you know you got to go with Nganu just because of what he's you know it's hard to pick against the champion but Nganu looks like he's just like built in a little pod at the performance institute so he's, he's a perfect heavyweight uh once again go with the american in this one i mean uh stipe's been proving himself time and time again as be one of the best heavyweights out there and uh, i see him going out there and getting another knockout over uh Nganu. I think I think actually Stipe because not not many people remember but Stipe is actually a good wrestler so 
you could try like mix it up and maybe take him down and uh, have the bat on the on the on the ground and tear him up and then when Sangana is not that fresh and doesn't have that uh, power anymore, maybe he can pull it. So maybe I can I can see Stipe. Stipe, he's got the gas tank. He's he's a very intelligent fighter. I'd like to see him move a lot and wear down Francis. Uh, if Francis hits him with with that uppercut. Oh, man, his, his head's going to fly through the roof just like anybody else. So the earlier rounds, I'm going to go with Francis. And if Steve can just be smart and, and fight technical and move a lot and put his cardio to you, then he'll, uh, he can even win by the count as well in, in the later rounds, I think, third, fourth, and fifth. UFC 220, Francis Ngannou against Steve Miocic. I felt like in, in the weeks leading up to this, a lot of people were – almost writing off Stipe, like they, they knew that he was going to lose and things like that. But I mean, there there's a lot of, there are a lot of tools that he has beyond Francis Ngannou's incredible knockout power that, that could play to his favor. Now, to that, I've also heard a lot of people say, well, the UFC wants Miocic to lose. He even says it too, but if Ngannou, while some people can't understand, he, his English isn't perfect yet. He's got the, the dialect and stuff. Stipe Miocic doesn't exactly go out of his way to make himself a superstar, Joe. Like, I was very lucky to salvage one or two quotes from an interview he did with James Lynch. And James Lynch is one of the best interviewers in the game. But every time that Miocic says something, oh, I don't care about that stuff. I don't pay any attention to that. Oh, I don't look to that. I don't do this. I don't know. I'm like, bro, why are you doing the interview? What's the point? Like, so I don't think there's like some big mass, mass like <laughs> conspiracy for Francis Ngannou to beat Stipe Miocic. He's just the best option to fight him, and that's what we have here. And I'm very much looking forward to this, especially Miocic's counter uh, strikes because they're more reactionary than they are like a game plan. Like <laughs> I see them more of him looking at what a what a Alistair Overeem or anybody else does, as opposed to like the Greg Jackson style of coming back to the corner and being like, okay, well, you got to lean this way and then parry and then throw it and make sure you put this much into it. With Miocic, he just sees what you're doing and he reacts to it and usually ends up putting your lights out. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. In terms of, the, of his interview and his comments, uh, I think I only had a chance to interview him twice and they were, they were pretty good interviews. And what I learned with Stipe, and unfortunately for James Lynch, is you got to be in front of Stipe. Stipe needs that personal interaction and needs uh, he needs that pre-conversation before you commence the interview for him to really break down that wall of I don't care about this and I'm guarded and I got to watch what I say. I don't want to make headlines and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, he, he hasn't gone out of his way, <coughs> Rory McDonald, um, to do anything where the UFC is basically, yeah, this guy's this guy's, you know, the man. He hasn't. He just simply hasn't. He just, you know, he's, he's a blue collar guy. Uh, he goes back to being a fireman or does whatever he wants around the house. He talked about having to put in a new kitchen uh, and stuff like that. That's all he cares about. Doesn't care. I mean, Cain Velasquez flat out in an interview with me said, I hate doing media. Yeah. And then realized that's fine, but it's the media that makes people watch you and the awareness surrounding you and when there's more awareness around you there are sponsors that want a piece of that awareness you want to go back into your home uh your man cave and just live your life there until you have to come out and fight 
You ain't getting paid at the end of your career. When you look at that bank account, coulda, shoulda, woulda, it ain't going to be pretty. So in Francis Ngannou, the UFC now has a guy that's basically knocking people's head off, is very exciting, scares the bejesus, a.k.a. Mike Tyson, out of people, okay, um, and, ha- and has a guy that, even though his English isn't that great, will talk, will speak, will offer his opinion, doesn't care what you think, doesn't really, isn't exactly media honed, isn't, you know, media trained, isn't media savvy, he's just going to say what he wants to say, so... If the UFC had a choice to which champion they would want right now, they'll go with Francis Ngannou. I think there'd be almost a unanimous vote on that board to say, we'd love to have this guy as our champion. Not because Stipe Miocic is a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's just not as good, in my opinion, for business as Francis Ngannou is. Like you, I, I, bottom line is, Sean, the UFC heavyweight champion, in our eyes, or at least in my eyes, in most people's eyes, is officially the baddest man on the planet. I was going to say, it's the battle for that. and Right? Like he, he, one of these two guys will be crowned that. You know, take nothing away from Joshua. He was a fantastic fighter. Mm-hmm. He's just not Deontay the baddest Wilder man on the planet. Too, yeah, yeah. But they're boxers. They're not fighters per se, right? Right. So, if you want to be the baddest man on the planet and you want that label, that's awesome. But man, and Miyoji can make history right? here. He, this, if he yeah. wins this, then do you crown him as the greatest heavyweight ever, or even in the UFC? I mean. Because uh, there, there's still going to be some doubt in people's eyes. There's always going to be doubt in somebody's eyes. But let, uh, I'll Junior bring... Dos Santos. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're going to do go it. Ahead. Go. Well, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, Fabrizio Verdum, Andre Orlovsky, Mark Hunt. Uh, so he, he avenged that loss to Junior Dos Santos, Fabio Maldonado, Gabriel Gonzaga, Roy Nelson. These are all wins. Um, he lost to Stefan Struve, Shane Dozario. He beat DeFries. Okay, so who on that would, would we want to say you still need to fight? Blah blah blah. Kane. Before Kane, right? Kane, but Kane, Kane can't get in the cage. So whose fault is that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you can make that argument. Do you want to go back and look at Fedor's record uh, yeah. when he did his stuff in Pride? And again, you always put an asterisk next to anybody that was really before a certain time as well. Let, yeah. Let's talk about the technical aspect of this fight. Like the lasting image that we have of Ngannou is him just knocking Alistair Overeem dead. And I think Overeem like almost tried to counter a counter of Ngannou. You saw him go under and he got so low that when he came back up, I don't think that he was ready for Ngannou to follow up with the left. And when you throw that right, uh, right hook or left uh, right hook or right uppercut and you switch to the left, that's a natural motion for your body. Like it's going to come back around that way. And the amount of force that he gets from a natural motion, like underhand, is just unbelievable. Like, and like Overeem knew the uppercut was coming. That's the thing. Like, he got out of the way of it, and he just ran right into another one. And it's just well, that helped the momentum, right? Hell yeah! Oh yeah, that <laughs> helped the momentum because you had Overeem because he was doing right this. He was doing this, and then decided to oh god, it's coming! And then as his head was moving back. Now, to the contrary, Miocic doesn't, like, rely on momentum or range or power or his legs or anything for his knockout power. Like, he lands them at very awkward angles sometimes, or on the ground he does it. Uh, A lot of people insinuate that maybe retreating from Nganu and, like, fighting, like, maybe at range or, like, popping in and out would be a good idea. I don't think so. I think that just allows Nganu to generate more power and gives him a little more space to do that. Uh, And we know that he's able to do that. Uh, wearing Nganu down is the tactic that I will be interested in seeing because 
we've seen Ngannou taken down, but even when he did, he was really good at scrambling, getting in underhooks, things like that against Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades is a real good wrestler. And he's (laughs) going to be a guy that we see in that UFC heavyweight division top 10. I think for the next six, seven years, Curtis Blades is in that top, if not longer. It's more about Ngannou's output in these situations than it is about Stipe staying on top of him because I think that Stipe knows that it might be a battle to stay on top of Ngannou. And Stipe's never been the guy to like just try to lay on top of you. He tries to finish you from there. So that's that's what I'm most excited to see. Uh, but Blades couldn't even create space and land strikes on the ground because Ngannou immediately worked back up. And that's something that Stipe does uh, very often. I... I, I... Listen, your your assessment that he needs to break down and wear down Ngannou to me is, you know, game plan number one. Mm-hmm. Stick to it. Do not get into a firefight with this guy. Yes, you have the power. Yes, you fought guys that also have had that power, and you've proved it on numerous occasions. Perhaps this time you don't want to do that. Perhaps this time we want to keep our energy output to a certain level. Uh, and, and punish this guy, let him move. He's going to stalk you no matter what. Let him stalk you, counter, get out, counter, get out, counter, get out, leg kicks. Punish him, but don't try and finish him. Let's carry him into deep water to see how he reacts. Then our stamina, our cardio, our cardio will be more than enough to finish this guy off because we've gone five rounds. I mean, that five-round fight with Junior DeSantos was retarded. That was incredibly awesome, Okay. We have it, but we don't want to get punched in the face by Nganu. Although everyone in the heavyweight division has power, Nganu appears to have crazy ass power. So let's let's do this strategically. We don't have to win by knockout. We don't have to win by. We just have to win three rounds out of five. Okay, uh, and guess what? If the submission is there, you damn right you go for it. Punish this guy. You have to put him. Big Joe McCarthy and I used to talk about this all the time, Sean. Put your opponent in a position where he's consistently defensive. <clears throat> He has to be on the defense, and you do that not necessarily standing up when you're aggressive, but if you're on top when you're on the ground. I don't know that, that I'd be overly concerned with Ngannou's submissions right now. Uh, you put this guy on all fours, or you put him on his back if possible, and you break him down. You wear him down. Um, you know the, 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 the carrying of the weight thing, I don't know about that because you, know, you can clinch with Ngannou, Sean, and put him up against the cage. The dude's big, man. The dude's strong. I think he could chuck and buck um, Miocic if he wanted to, right? But put your arms on top of his arms. I mean, that's what George St. Pierre did with BJ Penn. BJ was having to carry all that weight, lifting up with the underhooks all the time. That is taxing on your shoulders. Okay, we all know that. Scientifically, that's proven in MMA. If you do that, you'll tire out your opponent later on. So uh, I think you're bang on. I think Stipe needs to fatigue Ngannou, do his thing, and then if the finish presents itself... At any one point, sure, but carry him into the you know third round, championship rounds if need be. And one of the talking points has been even Miocic saying it like, uh, everybody talks about how hard of a puncher Ngannou is, but I've faced hard punchers, he says. You haven't faced world record holder level. I mean, I'm sorry, the, Francis Ngannou is a different specimen, a different being, and uh, I can't imagine being more excited for a fight than I am this one. Like these top two fights, I just think are wonderful matchups. And of course we have live coverage and discussion over at fightful.com. If you're watching the fights on Saturday night, you want to talk to people about the fights during the show, head over to fightful.com, fightfulmma.com 
and myself and Showdown Joe will be here right after UFC 220 to talk about that and Bellator 192. It's going to be a good time. Uh, you all can subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, Player FM. I think we're on Spotify, Google Play as well, a little bit of everything. You can follow Joe at Showdown Joe. Follow me at Sean Rossap. Follow us at Fightful Online. That's cross-platform. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have individual Twitters at Fightful Wrestle and Fightful MMA. Guys, thank you for joining us for the preview show. Uh, make sure you all visit us and check out our exclusives too because we have stuff every single day at Fightful.com that you can only find at Fightful.com. Until next time, we are out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.